Welcome to It's All Connected, a Marvel Studios podcast brought to you by MCUExchange.com. It's all connected. Everything. Well, it's been a month and we've had a break in the holidays and all that good stuff, but we are back. This is Russ, and joining with me are Matthew Arrow and Doug Herring from MCUExchange.com. Welcome back, guys. Hey, thanks for having me again. Hey, glad we can meet back up. Yeah, so I, I don't think, I, I think just with you know the Christmas break and the New Year's and everything else, I, I think we just decided instead of you know trying to coordinate crazy schedules, we just kind of took a bit of a break uh kind of regrouped a little bit um but you know a lot going on uh i think you know just family wise and everything else and then uh in between there was a little movie little little independent film that came out from uh from marvel's owners uh called uh, the force awakens so that uh that sucked up my time uh going to see it three times i didn't hear about that what which, what what was that about <laughs> perhaps you have heard of it <laughs> uh yeah, I've only but, seen it twice so far because I've been uh, busy with a move, but uh, I'm I'm very much itching to see it uh, several more times. Yeah, and it's it, funny to hear. I haven't heard people talk about seeing a movie multiple times like this in a in a long time. Uh, really, not since the Avengers for me. Yeah, the yeah, the, the first Avengers movies. Right. I heard people saying, "Oh, I've only seen it three or four times." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're probably right. Yeah, I think. Doug, have, um, have you seen it as well? Have oh yeah, I've seen it uh, twice. Nice. So, what do you guys think overall? Loved it. Um, little little reminiscent of A New Hope, but still still absolutely loved it. It was definitely the most Star Wars movie we've gotten since uh, 1983. Sure. Yeah, um, I absolutely loved it. It was everything that I wanted it to be. Um, I loved all the the sort of like references and homages to New Hope, and I I'm kind of blown away that I instantly loved all of the new characters. Um, I think Ray is probably one of my favorite characters in most mediums now, and uh, I'm just excited for this universe to to keep going and you know see see what all they have planned. Yeah, my comment has been. It, it's it makes me much more excited for episode eight than than I thought I I would be. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I loved it. I mean, I saw it three times. I saw it once in three D and twice in two D. Um, but yeah, it just it's just one of those those movies that the more you see it, the the more not even so much the more like I I catch, but just the more I enjoy it. Like sure. it, it kind of settles in. Like it. I, the first time I saw it, it just was so different. Like you're watching this and it's like, this is, it's so much different than the prequels and it's so much different than the original trilogy. But at the same time, there's that familiarity with it, but um, it, it just, it just felt different. Uh, and, and some of that, you know, and repeated viewings, I think went away and I, I kind of was able to, um, I guess maybe like wearing out a pair of shoes, you know, just kind of finally, uh, it finally fit right. Yeah, yeah that definitely... makes sense. Yeah, there's so much like awe seeing it the first time too. I mean, just like sure, 
when those just like opening notes just like blast out and the crawl and everything it's just like i think the first time like i was just so overwhelmed with everything you know just like i can't believe this is real i can't believe like i'm in a theater with this yeah and um i saw it in imax 3d and i would highly highly recommend that i mean it looked phenomenal um and then the second time i saw it in 3d at like an rpx screen which is kind of like regal's sub imax yeah so um and i i kind of feel like it it would almost be hard to not see it that way because it was just uh just the scope of it was so amazing and just some of the wide shots um especially on jaku were were incredible just like seeing it in that huge screen so i would definitely recommend that if if you haven't seen it in imax yeah, that's my next. I'm gonna try. I think I'm gonna try and see if I can get out to the IMAX and see it. My my son, he hadn't seen it either in IMAX, uh, so I, I think I think the two of us are gonna try and find a time where we can we can go hit up an IMAX screening of it. So, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely moving along. I mean, it's taken over the domestic box office at number one. I mean, it's it's past 800 on its way to 850. Uh, and worldwide it's kind of creeping up i don't know if it's gonna do it's got a full billion more to make to pass avatar which that's yeah that's pretty steep but yeah again i think i think since it was i mean it did okay in china but not as well as i think disney was hoping i don't i don't think avatar is in the cards i think it does still have a shot of passing titanic worldwide maybe yeah i i'm still i just don't understand how I still don't get how Avatar was as big as it was. Sometimes that still blows me away. I mean, yeah, that, the it, only, that it was so the only big. I say with Avatar is it's one of those movies, and there's not many times where you actually can look at somebody and say, you really need to experience this in the theater. I think that's, that's one of those movies. I think nowadays, you know, we get Blu-rays, what, four months uh, on the outset after the theatrical release. Mm-hmm. We get pay TV within a year. I think a lot of time, you know, people have nice TVs at home now with nice sound setups and, you know, not having all the distractions and everything and the cost. I think people are just tending to just say, oh, I'll just wait. And I think Avatar was just one of those once in a, you know, generation, once in a lifetime kind of movies where it was like the the purpose of that movie was to sit in a theater and experience it in that manner. Uh, right. And, and there's there's not many movies that really, you know compel you to go to the movie theater and see it, that the experience at home is so much different than the experience in the theater. Um, and I, I can't say, I mean, having seen Avatar in the theater, I can't say that I have another equivalent to a movie that I can really say, you know, you really need to see it, you know, in the theater that it's, it's, sure, it's sure. such a, it's such an experience. Sure. Yeah. It's just, um, I, I, I feel like the only thing that might help star Wars, beat that because because i'm assuming like the people who aren't going to see it or maybe people who just the prequels left too bad of a taste in their mouth um and they just think like there's no way it's going to be good so they're not bothering but i just feel like with the the critical acclaim and then i feel like something that avatar probably didn't have is people re-watching it I yeah people definitely. are going to see that three or four or five times like they will with star wars so i wonder if we won't see as much of a drop off as weeks go by like movies usually have and that maybe that might be enough to sustain it and maybe push it over. But it, it does seem impossible. Like it seems insurmountable to to pretty much double their international hall. Yeah. yeah at I mean, this the, point. Only, 
the only thing it, it has going for it is it's only it, it hasn't even been out a full month yet. Right. So, you know, it's one of those movies that it's kind of a dead time in theaters. You know, there's not a whole lot yeah. coming out. I mean, you know, we have Deadpool in February, but even that's not like, oh, my God, blockbuster. I think the next really big, you know, huge release that's coming out is Batman versus Superman, which yep. that's not until March. So it's it got a few has months. A, yeah. yeah, it's got a couple months that it can just kind of slow walk. Mm-hmm. I think some of it. I w- I wouldn't be surprised if the big Disney machine, uh, you know, knowing them the way they they do, especially from the Marvel side as well, if we don't get like maybe at the end of January or early February, like right around awards time, is like a big like resurgent marketing push to try and kind yeah of put it over the I, top. As as it gets close to making a billion dollars domestic, which is just like unheard of, I think if it starts getting to the point where it might do that. I think we'll definitely get a marketing push uh, yeah. by Disney to to help it get over that hump. Yeah, and probably, I mean, we're at the point where we haven't seen anything from Rogue One, and that comes out later this year. So that could be another sort of promotional thing that they push out while or even it's still a re-release. In yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, that we might see that you know a teaser for Rogue One while Force Awakens is still in theaters. So like get you excited for the next one, but Hey, until it comes, you know, force awakens is still in theaters. So yeah, I think, I think if they exclusively put that trailer in front of, Oh yeah. If they did something like that, that would be not even leaked it on the web. I think, uh, I I, think that would get a lot of butts and chairs. Yeah. I'd go, I'd go see it. (laughs) (laughs) I would too. I mean, it's, I'd want to see it anyway. It would just be an excuse like, Oh, well, I guess I have to go see star Wars again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but crazy. Uh, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see uh, to, to see how it how it shakes out, but knowing that dizzy machine, uh, it, they'll uh, they'll keep pushing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so this isn't the Star Wars podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is it's all connected episode eighty, uh, and because we've had such a big break, we got a lot of news to catch up on. Uh, this episode primarily. You know, the main topic is going to be kind of that middle section of Jessica Jones. So this would be kind of like Jessica Jones part two. Uh, but before we get to that, we got quite a bit of news to to, get, to go through. So this might be a little bit of a long episode, but uh, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about. And, and like I said, since we've been off for kind of a month, we didn't want to give anything short shrift. Uh, but the biggest uh, piece of news uh, I have at the top of the list, and this was a really a surprise to me because I didn't think we would get it so soon. I didn't think we would get it before Luke Cage. Uh, but Netflix and Marvel have announced the premiere for season two of Daredevil, and it's uh, it's going to be even sooner than uh, than the first season, which was in April. Uh, looks like March eighteenth uh, worldwide, which is another big thing. You know, Netflix just announced at CES that they're launched, you know, globally in one hundred and thirty different countries, and so the big push now with Daredevil is it's not just going to premiere in the U.S. Uh, it's going to pretty much premiere everywhere. Yeah, this yeah. is pretty exciting. Um, I was, I, I think Charlie Cox said sometime uh, last year that we could kind of expect it around the same time in 2016 as season one came out. So I was expecting around April. Um, but the fact that they pushed it back to March almost makes me think they might be trying to squeeze the schedule a little bit and get a third, a third Netflix show in. Uh, you know, like getting Daredevil yeah. season two out in March. And then Luke Cage in June or July, and then, you know, maybe even fingers crossed for Iron Fist or Jessica Jones season two in November. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that I, I've kind of always thought that it would be June or July for Luke Cage. I feel like this makes it definitive. Like they're clearly trying to like bump that up. Sure. And I, as much as I, I really want season two of Jessica Jones, I feel like the fact that we haven't heard anything while it's so sort of late in its hype cycle is probably because, you know, it's somehow either going to be pushed back or tied up because of Iron Fist and Offenders. And they're yeah. waiting to announce those things and even Luke Cage before they can say, you know, Jessica Jones season two, we probably won't get it to like 2017. So it could be, you know, but I, I think we'll get Iron Fist later this year. And then I think next year we'll probably get Daredevil Defenders and then season two of Jessica Jones. So it might be that everything besides Daredevil gets every two years gets a gets another season for now unless they yeah. start cranking them out, you know new season every year but it might be daredevil's the main one then the other ones and then defenders maybe every like three four years or something yeah or it could be could be kind of like um with the movies when phase one came out iron man was the only one that got he was first so he got a sequel before the big right. team up movie and then everybody else got their sequel in phase two so mm-hmm. it might be something kind of similar to that yeah definitely i think it i think the success of daredevil and that was the first show and nothing else was out. They were just like, boom, let's just immediately renew it. And now they've got so many lined up that they just can't quite readily do that with Jessica Jones. Right. Um, you know, because it's just one company producing all these. So, you know, they've got two to three other shows they're working on besides Daredevil. So, yeah, it, it's a bummer because I, I would love to see Jessica Jones every year. But and, and that might happen. But I I think it's probably going to be a good year before we get it again. And then maybe Marvel and Netflix will start cranking all four of them out every year, which would be kind of crazy, but yeah, Netflix seems to like to keep to a regular schedule. You know, it's like house of cards is always, you know, at that same time frame every year, yeah. the new black, you know, all these shows tend to stick to, you know, whatever, almost kind of like your regular broadcast TV or even HBO. You know, we know, in March, April, we're going to get Game of Thrones. We know, you know, in, in like I said, June is, you know, Orange and the New Black, all that kind of stuff. So it could be that they just, they're looking to keep that schedule. And, I, I you know, it's funny, with Daredevil, it was almost an immediate season two pickup. I mean, yeah. it was, yeah, you know, was... Within, within a week, it was like, oh, yeah, we're picking this up for season two. It, it, Jessica Jones has been out for a while now. We haven't heard of a, of a season. We haven't heard anything official. I haven't even heard, like, solid rumor i mean no. unless you guys have a, no, i haven't of, heard any, the, you know, the any. only the only thing that i'd heard is that melissa rosenberg the showrunner did say uh that it logistics wise with when the defenders was coming out it was kind of uncertain but that's all i've heard about it mm-hmm. so yeah so it'd be interesting to see if i, I would think if they plan and I, I i agree with you matthew i think i think we're going to get probably November 2017 for a Jessica Jones season two, not, not a 2016, because if they were going to do it, I think they would have to, we'd heard word of it by now and they yeah. would have to really get moving. Cause I think the lead is what, like six months, six, seven months. Yeah. On? Right. Yeah. I mean, they would have to bring back Rosenberg, get writers, start filming, not to mention you'd want in the middle of the like hype cycle that it was going through to be like, yeah. Hey, there's going to be another season. Whereas now it's, I mean, we're a month and a half out, like people have moved on, you know, they're already promoting Daredevil, which is, you know, two months away now. So, yeah, it's it's unfortunate 
but I, I feel like logistically they probably just have to keep quiet because they haven't, you know, I'm sure they have a plan and they have a schedule, but you know, they haven't even told us about Luke Cage yet. Like, a yeah, exactly. Day, let yeah. alone Iron Fist and Defenders. Well, I think they probably don't want to fall into that trap of every time a new show comes out, it's such a hit that um, immediately we greenlight another one, which pushes the next one off. You know, it just kind of right. like throws the schedule into chaos. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad they threw it into chaos to get a season two of Daredevil because. Yeah, um, I think that was the exception because nothing had like really been too settled yet. So yeah. they wanted a pounce. And I'm sure now that Jessica Jones is also a hit, it's just like, oh, OK, well. You know, there's a good chance that these will all kind of be hit, so they're probably just sticking more to their original schedule, and Daredevil just sort of got lucky because it was the first one out, and they wanted to strike while, like, the iron was hot. Yeah. So. So I'm excited. So a couple of months from now, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely have, have that out. So I'm really, I'm really looking forward to yeah. that. So. And, yeah, and it's I will... a little over two months away. Yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I just had one more thought, too, is that, and I mean, this is just with Daredevil and Jessica Jones because we don't know the shape of the other shows. But I think with Jessica Jones, there's not that there's not a lot of story to tell, but Daredevil's the type of show and hero that you could spin a lot more seasons and story out of, like what he does. Yeah, he um, definitely has sure. a more expansive rogues gallery than Jessica Jones right. does. But even just sort of like his narrative arc, you know, I mean, Jessica's was so tied into Kilgrave with season one that. It's not like there's not places she can go, but with Daredevil, it's just every season could be him just fighting crime. I mean, it's a right. very loose idea of what he needs to be doing. Um, well, and she, she doesn't have that secret identity thing going on. She doesn't right. have the two lives. Right, you know, there's, that, that... There's, less, there's less issues to play with. So it could just be with Daredevil that they just find it very easy to, like, you know, they could make ten seasons of that show no problem, you know. Um in their heads, you know, they just, they know, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff he could do. There's a lot of places he could go. And, and ultimately he'll always be Daredevil. He'll always be driven by the same thing. With Jessica Jones, season two will kind of have to be like a little bit of a reboot in that, you know, her life is sort of defined by different things going forward now. So they probably want to test those waters out. What's it going to be like in, you know, with alias investigations and, and can you make multiple seasons out of that? So, you know, that, that might be part of it too. And I think I think some of this might be they're using this as almost like a backdoor pilot to Punisher. I, I think. Oh yeah, I, yeah, definitely. yeah, for sure. I think that's a unfortunately a property that has doesn't have a really good past. I, I personally I like the Thomas Jane Punisher. I thought it was really good, um, but the other two you know have been you know did not fare as well uh, in in you know critically or in my personal opinion, and I, I think. It, you know, they feel like they, you know, Bernthal is, is pretty uh, well received, you know, just in general. And I think if they can make that work, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if right after Daredevil, maybe we don't get a season three announcement. Maybe, you know, it could be that maybe instead of in lieu of a season three slot, maybe it's a Punisher slot. But I have a feeling just just hearing buzz and hearing uh, from from folks uh, from from people on the inside uh, that uh that Bernthal's Punisher is going to be something, something to talk about. So, yeah. Oh, I have no doubt of that. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's definitely very possible. So, cool. 
so sticking with the TV side, uh, it looks like there's been a lot of talk. The producers on Agent Carter have have said that there could be a tie-in to Doctor Strange with uh, their show, which I thought was interesting, especially because there's a lot of rumor and buzz and everything else that you know the movie and the TV side are you know not playing nice with each other. Uh, but apparently there's going to be a story thread in, season, in Agent Carter Season 2 that deals with the Dark Force energy uh, that's kind of a a remnant of the, um, you know, the Manhattan Project, the whole, you know, U.S. getting an atomic bomb and, you know, companies that are involved in that. And, you know, this Dark Force energy is kind of a byproduct of what happened then. Uh, and apparently, supposedly, that has a play into Doctor Strange. So I thought that was that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's that's exciting. It uh, it really, I think, highlights the strength of a show like Agent Carter because since it takes place in the '40s, it's pretty free of all the other continuity of the MCU if it if it needs to be, but it has these neat little opportunities to tie in when it wants to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm. I'm definitely excited to see it tie more into the larger MCU universe and like sort of seed things. And cause you know, we've got a huge gap between agent Carter and I mean, let's say that little clip from Ant-Man in the eighties right? Yeah. in terms of the MCU. And then there's, you know, another big gap, you know, up until that party with Tony Stark and Iron Man three. I mean, so we've got a lot of decades that haven't been explored in the MCU. Um, so it's got a lot of opportunities to sort of seed these, little things that could spin off into other things or they could be the, you know, the generation before a lot of the movies. So I'm always excited to, to see that, that take place. But then I, you know, it's the same sort of argument with shield is, you know, if agent Carter is referencing something from Dr. Strange, when we get to Dr. Strange, will it reference whatever was referenced in agent Carter or is it still sort of like a one, one way street? I think it'll kind of be a little bit of both, maybe. Um, I mean, I I want it to be, you know, I want it to be both ways. Yeah, I mean, I I think it'll be, I I think it'll certainly be more the show referencing the movie and not the other way around. But I think there there might be little tidbits of, of, you know, backstory that makes a little bit more sense or an Easter egg that only watchers of the show will understand. I don't think yeah. I don't think the TV shows will ever impact the movies in a significant way, um, but I that, I no. don't think that means that they won't have any effect at all. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I definitely I think logistically that makes sense, but I feel like one of the one of the like main complaints I've had with MCU, and it, that's something I posted on like the MCU Exchange. We had like our best and worst moments of the year, and and mine was definitely the idea that you know, the movies don't have to like be significantly based on the TV show. Like things are the other way around, but it does seem like it wouldn't kill them to like throw like a line in, you know, yeah, yeah, something that you. it wouldn't bother the casual audience at all, you know, because plenty of people go to see the Avengers without, I'm sure having seen all of the individual solo films that led up to them, you know? So they reference, you know, when they're referencing Hydra and age of Ultron, I guarantee there's, you know, millions of people who didn't see, you know, Winter Soldier and don't really know exactly what they're talking about. But, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't completely detract from your, your experience. So if they threw one line in, you know, referencing, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. or Agent Carter or whatever, it's something that, like, we would love and would add a little bit of legitimacy to the TV shows, but the average moviegoer wouldn't be like, what? I'm so confused now, you know? 
Yeah, uh, you know, not to uh, go back to Star Wars, um, but <laughs> but I think uh, the Force Awakens might have kind of set up a blueprint of how that would work. I noticed that there were a lot of things in the Force Awakens that were sort of lines that seemed to suggest stories that wouldn't be told uh, in Episode Eight, but would be told in an anthology film or a novel or a comic or something. Uh, now that everything's mm-hmm. canon, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, you know, Max von Sydow's character, there's all this implied backstory and I, d- I wouldn't oh, be surprised if we see sure. that some, or, oh, or how, how did C-3PO get his red arm? He never well, mentions that's, it. That's actually going to be a comic. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> confirmed. There you go. I mean, yeah, so exactly. I, I think, I think little bits like that, uh, you know, because Star Wars and Marvel are owned by the same company. If they go over well in the Star Wars expanded universe, uh, I think we might start to see a little bit more of that in the Marvel universe as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, sticking on the TV front, uh, it looks like Marvel... We've heard a lot about damage control, and I haven't heard that it's like a for sure 100% thing and and it's going to air, but I guess... um, At the... Was it at the TFAs or something like that? The TCAs, Yeah. yeah. Um, they were saying that damage control definitely is going to be this season, which I thought was odd, but that there's another yeah. comedy uh, in the works. Yeah. yeah that, like one that came out of nowhere. Or something said that, right. It was a guy named Paul yeah. Lee or no, yeah. no, no, no. He's like a head at, yeah. Some sort of he's, head he's, at ABC. I mean, some, sometimes I think these execs, maybe they just aren't completely tuned in sometimes and just kind of like either get things confused or just spout things off the top of their head right i don't know he even said i haven't read it yet right He's like we're really excited for damage control that'll be like you know he implied it would be the fall but he explicitly said that he hadn't read a script just that it was written so yeah it is sort of like oh, okay so there's a script we know that that doesn't necessarily mean why well i guess that i mean that probably means they're going to shoot a pilot at least um then it's just whether it will air. Right. Which and then he seems to think it will, but yeah. But I, I mean, I find it hard to believe that it wouldn't. At this yeah. Point. With, with Disney sort of owning everything, I, I feel like unless they know they have a real stinker on their hands, they can pretty much push anything through that they want. Yeah. Because even if it ends up just being one season or, or I, I don't know, you know, and, and they've also got, if, if they don't want to put everything on ABC, they've got ABC family, which I think just rebranded itself. Yeah. It's freeform now. Right. But you know, they still own that. So right. Right. Damage control as like a half hour comedy. That's a little meta. That seems like the type of thing that could easily go on a network like that. Um, so I do wonder if we'll start seeing some of these things on some of the other ABC. I, I guess that's the only other ABC channel or Disney owned channel that I know of, but you know, so that they're not burdening everything on ABC since unless we start seeing highlights reels on ESPN. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before they find some way to integrate (laughs) Marvel and ESPN. And I think because of the relationship with Netflix, I don't see more. I don't see Disney slash Marvel doing anything with either Amazon or maybe no, maybe Hulu just because they're, you know, they're part of that conglomerate or whatever. Yeah. You know, but still, 
you know, they, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they just give Netflix right a first refusal and just say, look, you know, if you want it and you want to put up the cash for it, that's fine. If not, we're going to shop this to, you know, to Hulu or to, to somebody else. But, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's interesting because like the Netflix shows are sort of like their own little universe. And then, you know, the ABC ones are, are sort of tied together. So it does seem like, they almost want all of these shows on ABC because they're sort of like loosely built around the same ideas as shield or connected in some way. But that's where I feel like damage control has the opportunity. It's not like most wanted or, or even agent Carter where it's sort of tied with shield, you know? Right. Um, you know, that could, it has to exist in the MCU, but it could easily be its own sort of universe, which could even be the sort of more comedic every man on the street, you know, side of right. the MCU which could be this other comedy show and, and, and a lot of other things. I mean, that could, that could spin off into its own thing, but they would probably yeah. have to put that on a different, um, you know, channel or service or something because, you know, that's just a lot. And they could be looking to do a block. I mean, the Goldbergs and Blackish and I think the middle, like those, co- those comedies are fairly, obviously Modern Family are fairly successful. So I don't know, maybe they're looking to add something to flesh that out as to like a, maybe a return to like the old TGIF days from the, you know, nineties and sure, you know, kind of have this comedy block that they can compete with, you know, like big bang and and some of the CBS stuff. Yeah. So it could just be that, you know, every, every block has like a Marvel show in it. Yeah. And the only reason I I brought up Netflix uh, in that is, you know, they, they did the uh, Aziz Ansari uh, show Master of None. I don't mm-hmm. know if you, either of you guys have seen Master of None. Yeah, yeah, all but the last episode. I, I have, I'm loving it. Yeah, it's, it's, it. I, I think it's a. I think people love it a little more than I did. I really enjoyed it, but I didn't think it was the greatest Netflix show ever. Um, but again, that's not a knock on it. But they're kind of experimenting with that, and and since it has such like it's like a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something crazy like that, um, and it's and it's fairly well received. Oh wow! And then that Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was like a really kind of good get for them. So I don't know if maybe they're looking to put together, you know. There's also a, uh, BoJack Horseman. Right, right. So kind yeah. of maybe these lower budget little thirty minute instead of hour long. Yeah, kind of I, I I think so. I mean, Netflix is constantly talking about how. I think they said this year they're going to have twice as many original shows as last year. Yeah. So, and with the relationship Marvel and Disney have with them, it it does seem like there's a source of content. And if they're producing a pilot for ABC already, and then ABC's not interested, then it's sort of like, you you know, it's almost like a no brainer. Netflix is looking for content. They've got the good relationship, the pilot shot, the creative team is in place. The cast is there. And, and Netflix, you know, seems to buy up shows all the time and finish seasons or series and stuff. Like right. they constantly do that. Yeah. Um, so it, it definitely seems like that could sort of be this pipeline thing where if it doesn't work out on ABC, it could easily work out on Netflix. So, yeah, I think, I think 2015 was a pretty big year for Marvel TV, but something tells me 2016 is going to be even bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. I think Agent Carter is going to do much better now that it's settled in and more people are aware of it. Um, Shield's been getting better. And, you know, we'll see the second half of season three and then the beginning of season four all this year. Or so and then we potentially have three, you know, Netflix shows. I'm sure Daredevil will be a hit. Mike Coulter's already sort of a hit and Jessica Jones. So Luke Cage is a pretty good chance. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
and then maybe we see most wanted and maybe even damage control i i i mean i most wanted who knows how it'll go i'd love her to do well but damage control i just something about it to me just sounds like the perfect formula i i think it'll be i agree a huge hit it's just like it, it's not going to be like even even though dc is doing their own comedy i still think it's such a uniquely meta thing in the comics as it is and i think to the average person it'll be the perfect sort of like bomb for people who are even a little sick of superhero stuff it it's just sort of like the perfect little meta thing that references you know so much superhero stuff and the marvel stuff but i i just think fans of marvel are going to love it and people who aren't necessarily into superheroes as much are also going to love it yeah i completely agree yep yep and that you kind of mentioned most wanted i think that's the biggest thing is it, it i mean they've even talked to marissa tancheron and jed whedon to say yeah we're having to write around the fact that bobby and hunter are gonna go away for a while but you know not completely so uh, it, it looks like it's at least going to get a pilot and the way it's talking is it i would assume it's going to get if not a full like 22 episode season that they'll probably like shoot a pilot and probably give it at least 10, uh, 10 or 13 and, and go and see how it goes from there. But, but it looks like it's, it's pretty much a done deal. I mean, if they're having to retool scripts or maybe not even retool, maybe that's a poor choice of words, but work the scripts around the fact that these two are going to be leaving the main show, then obviously they don't plan on it just being a, uh, you know, you know, toss in the wind and see, you know, what happens. Yeah. And the nice thing about that is, you know, it's, I remember when, uh, the Cleveland show spun off a of family guy and uh, after a couple seasons that wound up not working out. And so they just brought the character back to, to family guy and it sort of continued like nothing had ever happened. And, uh, most wanted sort of gets to do the same thing where if it winds up not working out, the characters don't just disappear. They just, join agents of shield again yeah it wouldn't be that weird at all it's like they went off on a mission they came back from the mission you know exactly and the show itself even if it's only 10 episodes whatever i mean you know it could ease it's one of those things where it's probably it's built in to be it could just be a simple mission it could last half a season a whole season and and you could easily watch it as like this little side mission or if it's successful they could easily go on to do more missions so it's sort of like this perfect it's built in this perfect way where it just can't really fail no matter what. Right. Right. Or you might even have the crazy situation where from a ratings perspective, the most wanted show does better than shield. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, who knows a a bit of a flip. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm sure that's, well, I don't know. I don't know if something like that's ever happened, but it's definitely possible. Yeah. So we'll see, but it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see them pull kind of pulled out of the main show because I think they gel with the other characters. But yeah. I, I I really like uh, Bobby and Hunter, uh, and so I think I think I think keeping Hunter around and having him in a show and then having Bobby, I, th- I think it's it's going to be a good uh, a good mix. I'm just curious to see what that show is going to be. So we should we'll probably know something fairly soon because I'm I'm guessing they're probably getting really close to shooting a pilot for that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that that must be right around the corner. I, I feel like my only concern is I feel like those two characters bring a lot of levity. I mean, obviously, especially Hunter, but I feel like even Bobby a bit. Um, they just bring a little more lightness to the show. So I I just hope that uh, without them, S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't descend into too much like browbeating and 
yeah. and darkness and, you know, just become a little too much like season three of Arrow or something like that. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate worry, but it might give Mac a little bit more uh, for room sure, to, for to sure. stretch his comedic chops. Yeah, and sure. him and him and Daisy together, I feel like, you know, do some good comedy. And, um, you know, I feel like Mike Peterson can be, despite being called Deathlock, is actually a pretty light presence on the show in terms of his personality now that he's sort of like well adjusted. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see him pop up more now that yeah. there's sort of like a space on the team. Um, and there was even something, um, they got posted I, um, in like our internal message board that was like an interview with Clark Gregg from back in June that was like embargoed until now. Um, and it was him just talking about the new team moving forward. And he was saying, you know, now we've got Daisy with powers and we've got Mike Peterson and we've got like a, like a good little unit now. So it, it almost felt to me like he was implying that Mike Peterson and Deathlock might have a larger role, maybe even in the Secret Warriors, um, as sort of an enhanced, you know, individual. Oh, so yeah, I wonder definitely. if we might see him join in on that team. Yeah, no, I, I certainly think that's a possibility. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's pretty much it for the TV side of things. Uh, so switching switching gears to the movie side, finally, 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 and we've talked about this a couple times, uh, it's been highly rumored, uh, but it's finally confirmed from Marvel uh, that Ryan Coogler is going to be directing Black Panther, which uh, I am very, very happy to hear. Yeah, I can't really think of a better director for it. Um, you know, I know, I know a lot of people were excited about the possibility of Ava DuVernay taking over and directing and you know she's a fantastic director it would have been great for sure but um you know as good as selma was i don't i don't know if she could do action or not but um with after seeing creed there's no doubt that ryan coogler can yeah and i I think you know the, the the main thing with ava duvernay is she just is such a strong presence and has her own vision is and doesn't want to compromise or isn't willing to compromise on that. And I think Marvel just has their way. And it's like, look, if you want to come direct a movie for us, it's going to be, it's, this is the process. And it, you know, there's nothing wrong with a strong directorial hand. Uh, but at the same point, I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with the director saying, look, if you want to, you know, have me come in and do this movie, it's, you know, I, I'm the director. It's going to be my movie. So, um, you, you know, again, I don't, I don't think there's any, I don't. I don't think you know that that didn't work out. wasn't a. I, I can't really say it's. It was something negative towards Ava or negative towards Marvel. It's just you know it is what it is, and you know you either you know sign on for that or you don't sign on for that. And you know I I I, I think it's great that she has enough creative integrity to say, look, you know I I want to do it my way, not you know not your way. Um, and and you know it looks like Kugler is willing to. Uh, uh, you know, to to sign on to the fact that Marvel has their way of doing things, and he he can fit into that system. Yeah, yeah definitely. especially if he's doing something like Creed, which is you know like sort of loosely tied into you know like a franchise mythology sort of thing. So he's obviously willing to like play ball in that regard. So yeah, which is good. And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. That's finally. I, I'm sort of surprised that we. I was sort of looking at the timetable and. I was sort of surprised that we found out something so early, but I sort of wonder if 
you know, maybe by the end of the year, they might even start filming. Uh, so maybe that's why they sort of got on it. Yeah. And I think part of it is maybe because that character is going to have a presence in civil war. Right. I mean, granted it's all done in you know, in the can at this point, there's, there's not much, but I, I think, you know, the, the reason there's some delay on some of these others is, you know, they, they, they haven't appeared somewhere else first. So, you know, there's not such a rush, but I think now that, you know, that character has appeared, you know, there, there's something to actually work with. So, yeah. And, you know, I know everybody's wondering like, when are we going to hear about Captain Marvel? But, you know, I mean, that's, that movie's not until 2019. So it, it's sort of a weird thing that we know a movie's coming out that far in advance, but I just, I really don't see them probably until like next year, you know, announcing something like that. It's just, that's, it's so far away. Yeah. At the earliest. Yeah. I, yeah I think I, we might get a director maybe um, at some point later this year, but I don't think we'll get much information on that until at least next year. Yeah. And especially casting. I think that's going to be easily next year. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean the only the only difference with uh, we, where we may see casting first is I, I think she's set to appear in Infinity War Part One. Oh, that, oh, that true. that's true. That's true. And yeah, that's going to start hit. filming pretty early yeah. too. So yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So I th- I think that may be a case again, like with Black Panther, where you know in the past they've been like we're not doing casting until we have you know director and creative team ahead. Uh, but you know we've seen with Spider-Man, with Black Panther, and I'm assuming what we'll see with Captain Marvel. Um, you know that that will. I mean, we've got a writing team for Captain Marvel. Yeah, that's true. Already, we just don't have a director. That's but, true. Um, that's true. So, but, but yeah, I'm guessing we'll we'll see casting before we get a director. Yeah, and do we? There hasn't been an announcement for Black Panther writer yet, has there? Um, um, I think there has been. I think it's the same guy that wrote the first draft of the Inhuman script. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I was trying to remember that. I was like, I, I couldn't quite remember whether that had been announced yet. Um, yeah, uh, in October it was... Oh, okay. It was announced that he was... Uh, that Joe Robert, Robert Cole, Cole? Yeah, yeah. was, that's was right. writing. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yes. Okay. Now I remember. Yeah, that makes sense because again, that's that's probably something that I would imagine they're probably gonna. He's probably already writing it because we're probably gonna see them start filming towards the end of the year. Um, or if nothing else, I mean, early, you know, around this time next year. Yeah, because it's February twenty eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. So I would assume. Probably towards the end of the year would be filmed. Right, right. Because, I mean, I know Doctor, Doctor Strange cut it a little close by not starting until like a month or a year out. But I think they were also doing a little pre-production a few months before that. Yeah. And, I mean, Guardians is starting next month, which is a year and a half ahead of its release. Yeah. But that's probably just because there's so much special effects and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. But I would imagine Black Panther will have quite a bit of pre and post production and stuff in making Wakanda. So yeah, it's it's probably gonna need at least a year and some change. So yeah, I'm I'm sure they're already like writing it. That's probably why they wanted to bring the director in and get all that like confirmed. So like the whole creative team's in place. But yeah, so that's exciting because you know now we'll probably start hearing, you know, little bits of casting and things like that would be the next step. Yep, yep. Um, 
so the next thing I have on my list is uh, there's been a lot of buzz about Kate Blanchett showing up in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, and I think recently Mark Ruffalo has been talking quite a bit about bumping into her and, you know, trying to make sure that it works out. And, you know, so again, nothing definitive, but I think, you know, we were kind of talking c- casually beforehand that, you know, more than likely she's probably, they're probably looking to finalize a deal and, you know, trying to see if they can come to final terms and waiting for the ink to dry on the contract before uh, an announcement. But, uh, but yeah, I'm excited for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like somewhat of a done deal. Um, and another thing from Ruffalo's comments is that I know there was a lot of speculation about who she'd be playing if she'd be maybe playing uh, a Valkyrie or or something like that. But Hello. yeah, he yeah, well yeah, because Ruffalo mentioned that she'd be playing a baddie, so uh, that that rules out some possibilities and makes others seem more likely. Yeah, I I, I think like. Between him saying she was going to be playing someone bad and between it being someone as big as Kate Blanchett that, you know, whether she gets the the role or not, I think it shows that she'll probably be the main villain of the film, which would be, you know, the first um, major female antagonist that we've had, you know, probably in most comic book movies, which yeah. is, you know, everybody's always clamoring for female superheroes, but it's it's very rare for there to be female villains so you know i'm i'm excited about that that possibility yeah i think um if i had to guess i'd say she she's probably uh playing hella but uh i think they might merge her character with uh, lady death and 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 have her show up again in infinity war and be sort of the object of thanos's uh, thanos's affection yeah, that'd be interesting. That, that's interesting. I, that, there, it sort of makes sense. I mean, hiring someone as big as Kate Blanchett, you know, you don't just stick them in like one movie or even one franchise. And, um, you know, in the Marvel universe, there's like, you know, a hundred different gods and a hundred different, you know, devils and deaths and all that. So it would sort of make sense that in the movies to just sort of streamline it. And she's just sort of the general ruler of the underworld slash right death you know etc like in you know like in the thor mythology she's hella but in you know another mythology she's death she sort of like maybe personifies like all these different death deities sure yeah 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 Uh, the last thing yeah the last thing i have on my list is kind of a conglomerate of the russos doing the press circuit and now that we're you know, a few months away from uh, Civil War or Captain America Civil War at this point. So uh, one of the things he mentioned was that Wakanda itself will show up in Civil War. And and he made it seem like it's not just like a blink and you'll miss it kind of cameo that uh, that will actually see Wakanda itself. Um, Yeah, that that kind of surprised me. Um, But I guess it makes sense. You know, Black Panther's playing a central role in the movie. um, Yeah, I mean, why not shoot his first scene or two in his home country of Wakanda. Yeah, it would definitely add, you know, sort of like make it more impactful, like his stance on everything. And, and, you know, there's a lot of rumors about him and the winter soldier and his parents and all that. So yeah, I mean, why not sort of show like the majesty of where he comes from and all that to really like give an impact to his character. He's not just some guy who shows up and has like a suit. I mean, he's, you know, a King from this like insane, 
you know, technologically advanced kingdom. So yeah, why not show that? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's really exciting. Um, because, you know, they also said that, you know, he's, which I guess we knew, but, you know, they said that he has a very definitive art and stuff. So, you know, it's, I'm, I'm glad we're going to get a sizable amount of him in the film. Uh, they've also pretty much put to rest the whole Red Hulk rumor. Uh, it looks like there's going to be no Red Hulk in. Uh... Yeah, they just came right out and said it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't surprise me. I I didn't put much credence in that personally. But uh, So the last little bit of the Russo's ramblings is uh, they talked about there being a lot of characters in Infinity War, and I think they said there's a board that has last count like 62 characters. And as in typical internet style, it just seemed like every blog and news site was just like, Oh my God, there's going to be 63 heroes. Who can it possibly be? We know, you know, based on who's shown up so far that there's nowhere near 63. And I'm just like, they said 63 characters, not 63, you know, comic book superheroes slash supervillains. So I just took it as, you know, they're putting, you know, I don't know. I mean, like Agent 13 and, you know, just like random people that, you know, they're casting for different roles that are not necessarily superhero shield agents or, you know, Hydra agents or Thanos agents or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I just it, it sure, just seems yeah. like it just got way overblown. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I I wrote a, a short little opinion piece on on MCU Exchange about this exact thing. And um yeah, it ju- it just seems to be that that people are uh, very quick to assume that it's going to be overcrowded and it's impossible that it's going to work. Um, but also, these aren't even sixty-seven characters that are definitely in the movie. It's just the ones yeah, that they, they could on the board. be using. Yeah, that's just the pool they're pulling from. Which, yeah, I mean, they're just looking at like everybody. So, and yeah. it's also two. You know, this is a two-part film too right so i mean it's not it's not too too crazy if you think about yeah every character who has like a single line or something potentially (laughs) i mean yeah and and there's movies in between these two movies so i'm i'm guessing while there's going to be some sort of cliffhanger-ish ending to part one that it's not so cliffhanger-ish that there's no room for anything to happen you know for things to not happen between oh yeah Um, yeah, you know, I, I think I, these are going to be two self-contained but intertwined stories. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, aside from all the characters that we already know, we've got to remember that, you know, just like every Avengers film, we're going to meet some new characters for the first time in probably both parts of the movie. So, Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, Age of Ultron introduced, you know, what, five, six? You know, I mean, Ultron, Vision, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Claw... Hawkeye's whole family, uh, Doctor yeah. Cho. I mean, you know, like that. You know, those, that's like eight new characters right there. And right. So. Yeah, I. It's. I mean, I think it's certainly an indication that the movie will be big, but not as unmanageably huge as everyone seems to be worried about. Right, because you you know you figure probably ten or twelve or fifteen of those characters are going to maybe get a line, maybe not get a line. Oh, right, for sure. You know, I mean, look at so, you know War Machine and Falcon and Age of Ultron. You know, just sort of like kind of pop. I mean, you know, Falcon just pops in and has a few lines. You know, so and Selvig. You know, and yeah, or Loki, know. who was shot. A scene was shot with him, and then it was exactly. entirely cut. 
Right, and a lot of right. the Selvig Thor stuff was cut too. So I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's going to be deleted scenes and directors cut and you know all that. So and I'm sure it's like you guys are saying, it's just like it's a board. That's they're like this is our sandbox. This is who we could potentially use. You know exactly. So yeah, and I don't know. At, at the same time, I'm just like this is you know all these movies are already sort of epics. Then they do the Avengers, which is like an epic epic. And then this is like an epic on top of that. So yeah, I'm sort of not worried about like too much. I feel like that's what we've signed up for. Like if you buy a ticket to I, yeah. infinity war, like you want, you know, it's called infinity war. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you yeah, want I think the, spectacle. <laughs> yeah. I think the purpose of this one is to go completely over the top. Like this yeah. is, you know, it, it, any other movie that may be a criticism, but I think when the intention is to, to do that from the outset, I think yeah. it's going to be hard. I'm not looking for 67 characters to have like, you know, an arc. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's going to be impossible. So, um, and I guess the kind of tangentially related to that, I guess it's come out and I've, I think this is pretty much again, another no brainer, but it looks like Joss Whedon has officially stepped away from the MCU that his, his contract is up. His involvement is done. Uh, and, you know, I think he just kind of looked at it as, look, I, I don't want to be the, you know, the guy that, you know, constantly comes in and is, you know, poo-pooing everybody else's ideas or sticking my nose in there when I don't really have a dog in the hunt kind of thing. Um, and I, I think part of it is he's probably just tired. I mean, you know, he, he directed you know, two movies, he started a TV show, he script doctored, you know, at least two or three of those movies on top of it while he was still involved, um, and kind of got the thing really, you know, turned into the machine that it is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe people are reading more into that than they should, you know, as, as maybe his experience was negative, but, you know, I think Joss is Joss and I think he, you know, he came in and he did what he wanted to do. And, you know, his, his passion is always his own stuff more so than other people's stuff. And sure. Yeah, I think he just he he came in, did his thing, had his fill, and you know, letting somebody else do it. Yeah, yeah. And I I don't think he would have done like the Shield and you know Age of Ultron and all that if he was sick of the experience, you know, or had like a bad experience or something. So, I mean, he was obviously invested enough to you know keep working with Marvel. So yeah, I don't I don't think there's any bad blood. I just think, like you said, he's he's just done. Yeah. And I mean, the Russos like seem to be ably filling that role. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, their, their, their comments that like the TCAs and everything that's going on. I mean, I, I was super excited because every single interview just talked about how many Spider-Man comics they owned and, you know, how much, you know, like they, they love this universe and, you know, they're talking about how Cap's arc and Infinity War is all, you know, is like one continuing thing and one continuing continuing progression so it really seems like they are um you know the new overseers of the mcu through infinity war so yeah and i I think having two people in sync to handle that load is probably oh yeah a much easier experience i mean joss i mean i can't imagine the stress and um you know and burden on him you know to 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 do that not once but twice and you know the fact that you know, there's there's two people that kind of can can balance that load out. I think is is definitely helpful. So I mean, really, it's it's four people. 
because uh, Marcus and McFeely are writing while that's the right. Are true, right. true. So there's yeah, absolutely. a duo of yeah. directors, duo of writers. I mean, yeah, that's right. that's got to that's got to really take a load off. Plus, you know, Kevin Feige and you know the other people involved. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people to sort of shoulder the weight of of ushering things into the MCU, um, much more than Joss Whedon who had to direct and write. You know, so yeah, definitely. Yep, yep. All right, uh, so that's that's it for the news. Uh, so, like I said, quite a bit of news going on. Uh, you know, just again because we're we're on such a break and everything's kind of gearing up now. So I, I expect uh, we'll probably have a steady stream of news flowing in as as you know these projects start to get underway as as the hype machine starts to gear up for Civil War. Uh, that we'll be we'll be seeing some we'll be having more to talk about. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think all this stuff is coming so regularly now that and there's never not going to be news. Something's yeah. always going to be like in production or about to come out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that being said, uh, so <laughs> an hour long intro to get to what we uh, what we <laughs> gathered to talk about, which is uh, kind of our part two on Jessica Jones. So. Uh, this is roughly going to be like episodes four through eight. Uh, you know, again, spoiler filled discussion. We'll probably be talking about things that happen at the end of the show. We'll probably backtrack, you know, just and talk about things at the beginning, just based on threads that kind of showed up in this middle arc. Um, and then the goal is to hopefully get back here soon before agent Carter gears up, um, or shortly thereafter and sneak an episode in to kind of, you know, round things out with that, you know, third act, of Jessica Jones and, and talk about it. But, um, um, you know, a couple episodes ago we did kind of the first part and just talked about the first few, few episodes. Um, and, and so I thought we'd just kind of, kind of carry that discussion forward. I, I, you know, pretty much just got a bunch of talking points. Uh, you know, again, this isn't meant to be an episode by episode dissection. Um, uh, so I guess I'll start with, uh, and just kind of going through and rewatching it. The one thing that struck me really with episode four, which we kind of got, you know, the, the the way the show started was with her being the detective and not so much the superhero, uh, you know, and then and then the, the story started to carry forward and we got more in with the Kilgrave and all that. Um, what I liked about when we got to like episode four is it really kind of re- refocused on Jessica as the detective, uh, you know, and, and you know, this is the episode when she was tracing back the photographs that she found to, you know, to try and figure out, okay, who's taking these photos. Right. Um, and, you know, literally taking the photos around town and kind of measuring up angles and seeing, okay, who, you know, who, where would these people be, you know, in relation to where the photo was taken and then working with Simpson to, you know, get copies of surveillance cameras and stuff and putting it all together. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I like that part of the Jessica Jones show, I think, more so than the other stuff. I mean, I like and, and you know, maybe it's just having the affinity that I have with the comics. Uh, but some of the best stuff in the comics was when she was actually acting as a as a, you know, a P.I. as opposed to, uh, you know, you know, beating dudes up. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's something that, you know, I kind of wish Daredevil did a bit more is show, um, you know, Matt as a lawyer more you know we got that one i mean you know it's kind of peppered throughout but we really only got that one episode like in a courtroom and i mean not to you know jump too far over to dc but the sort of the same thing with flash is 
you never really see him actually be like a forensic scientist that much on the show. So I, I, I definitely think with Jessica Jones and, and I think we'll get much, much more of that whenever we get a season two now that, you know, alias investigations sort of back up and running and Kilgrave is as big of a thing. I think we'll get a lot more of her actually being a private eye, which, which is exciting. Cause you, you know, like you say, it's, you know, there's a lot of drama and character development that can be mined from, from her doing those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. I and, completely agree. Her, um, her as a detective, whether it's in, uh, this episode or the first episode or a bit later in uh, episode six. Um, it's, it's the highlights of the show for me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It, it makes me think of Veronica Mars, which I also really loved, but obviously a lot darker, but you know, yeah. that was what was so exciting about her is like a PI. It's just, she just sort of really has that right attitude for it. And Kristen Ritter does such a good job of playing that sort of like sardonic, like very noirish you know 30s 40s sort of vibe you know pi yeah because we get the music and the the narration and stuff like that i just i i dig i'm a i i love film noir so when when they incorporate those elements into into things i i tend to that tends to be up my alley what did you guys think of i I know one of the criticisms of this show that i saw on you know different message boards and blogs and things like that was the whole bit with, um, with the, t- the couple that hire her with well, the lady that hires her to, because her husband is cheating and, you know, she kind of follows her through and does that whole bit and doesn't really grab on to the fact. And part of it, and well, let me back up. It doesn't grab onto the fact that there, she's not who she appears to be. Um, and, and turns out that they're just a couple of kooks that, are looking to kill superheroes because or people with abilities because of what happened, you know, in New York. And one of the cool things I like is they refer to it as the quote incident. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, I, which I thought was cool. I think they and do that on daredevil too. They do. I feel yeah. like that's how, yeah. what they called it. Yeah. And then <laughs> she's, you know, she's like, well, you know, if you have a problem, you know, take it up with the big green guy or the flag waver. So I, again, I thought, you know, people were saying, oh, that's because, you know, they can't mention the movie stuff in the TV side. And I, I thought that was I don't know where I saw that comment, but that was like, it's a ridiculous. it's a common thing people say. And, yeah, I, I just I mean, I just feel like she's the type of person who like she either doesn't know their names or doesn't care. You know, it's it's her sort of like mocking them. And and, yeah. and again, they don't need to you know who she's talking about. Like they don't yes. need to say, like, take it up with the Hulk or I mean, even the whole Hulk thing is sort of like. You know, Captain America is one thing because he's sort of had this, you know, propaganda thing behind him. But, you know, even with the Hulk, that's almost like an internal name they call him. I don't know that, you know, the average person on the street would call him the Hulk. They'd probably call him that green monster. You know, I yeah. mean, well, and, you know, her whole attitude is kind of pissy and exactly, you know, just like flippant. And so for her, she probably sees like those guys. A, she's I think she's a little envious because they're allowed to be the hero in, in a perfect world, right? Like, right. you know, they don't have all her baggage. You know, she she tried to go down that route, and it, it didn't work out. And, you know, she can't seem to get her stuff together, so it doesn't work out for her way. And then she sees these, you know, group of heroes that, you know, the world looks up to, and they're doing it the right way, and they have these colorful costumes, and she's not them. So I think part of it is a little bit of jealousy or irritation with the fact that, you know, 
that she she's not in that class, but it just fits with her personality. I, I yeah. guess for me, it, I didn't take it as oh, it's taboo to say that. I just I took it as it it totally fits in with her with her attitude. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, um, she I, references I, them all the time. You know, so yeah. it's not like they can't say that. But you were right. I know that the legal minutia of the Netflix agreement and the ABC stuff is maybe a little bit more complicated than we know. Um, because I know that when Clark Gregg was asked about maybe a showing up at a Netflix show, he mentioned that that is actually kind of, that would be kind of difficult for him, uh, due to legal things. But I can't imagine that they're legally barred from, from mentioning characters names just cause that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it would be more promotion, if anything, for the character. So exactly, sort of be... yeah, and it was framed the way I saw it as, um, you know, just because of the whole Feige and Perlmutter thing, that it was like, oh, that you know, they're not allowed to right, say the other right. because of this infighting. And I'm like, yeah, that's just yeah, like they're crap. ever gonna. D- I mean, they're part of the uh, yeah, those sorts of things are sort of ridiculous because it's like they're all part of the same you know company, <laughs> they're all part of the same creative franchise and money-making franchise like they're not that just yeah like they're going to take some petty jabs why would they even bother writing it in then you know it's just yeah yeah it's it's like you're saying i mean it's just it's her personality it it makes total sense you know we don't need to hear their names to know who she's talking about and you know yeah but um it was gretchen from uh from breaking bad i don't know if you guys have seen breaking bad but one of the one of the characters from that she the 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 wife was the a character named Gretchen uh, from Breaking Bad who is kind of like uh, Walter White the you know the main character's right. girlfriend back you know kind of college and you know they kind of had a falling out and stuff like that but I I thought it was kind of cool to see her again. Oh, I knew I recognized her, but I didn't make the Breaking Bad connection at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I just I thought it was cool. I mean, yeah, I liked it. It, it it was a nice break and it was a nice little, you know, monkey wrench in the works. You know, it just wasn't, you know, it just, it, it was, it was a way to give her another case, but yet it wasn't what it seemed. And it made sense that she didn't catch on to what was really going on because she was so, you know, this whole Kilgrave thing has her thrown for such a loop. I mean, her first reaction was that Kilgrave sent this woman just like, just like, you know, just like the others. And so she immediately, you know, gets paranoid and suspicious and, you know, goes to Hogarth and, you know, is trying to verify that, you know, they were recommended that way. And, um, you know, it just it I don't know. I just I I thought it was a nice little distraction uh, from what was going on. And I I I don't know. I didn't take it as negatively, I guess, as, as a lot of the comments I read. Yeah, I mean, I I'm I'm why I'm so excited for damage control is I'm just a huge fan of of just seeing how i mean you know we're constantly seeing these big characters who have these big powers but you know sort of like shield was you know pitched originally like i'm definitely interested to see how does all this crazy stuff affect you know the average person on the street you know so the idea that they played with something where this big incident infected just these regular people in the way that they decided to take that and you know they're not people with powers this is just you know, sort of how it affected them. Like I, I'm a big fan of those types of stories. So I was, I, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I, I thought it was really enjoyable, you know, and same thing for all the reasons you said, lets her do a case and be the detective and, you know, not everything has to do with Kilgrave, which, you know, so yeah, yeah I enjoyed it. 
And the fact that she said, I mean, the title of the episode was 99, 99 friends or, and, uh, so I, 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 I like the fact that, you know, she basically scared the hell out of these people yeah. saying, I know, I counted 99 people that have powers. And yeah. so, you know, they're all going to be looking for you because I'm going to tell them all, you know, about it when we meet. Right. So, yeah. Which is like a good, you know, sort of jokey reference to even, you know, in the comics, New York has, you know, a thousand different superpowered people yeah. that all happen to live in the same city. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so I, th- I thought that was that was kind of cool. It was just kind of like a little little one off thing. But yeah, I mean, you know, the big thing with this episode at the end was she realizes that Malcolm um, Malcolm is the one that's been ch- been tailing her, that he's the one uh, that's been doing it. And I thought that was just genius because here, you know, once again, Kilgrave is responsible for the misery of another person. Like this, this kid was, you know, an upstanding, promising, you know, college student that, you know, was going to, you know, basically be a, I think it was a social worker or some sort of, you know, mental health, you know, to help people and, you know, wasn't into drugs or any of that. And, you know, here comes Kilgrave and turns him into this, you know, just, just mess in a wreck of an individual just to get back at Jessica. Um, and, you know, and again, the way that kind of evolved into, you know, the reason he made him a junkie instead of just saying, Hey, come, you know, do this or do that is because his power does fade. You know, if you're not around him, you know, within so many hours, you start to lose 12 hours. So yeah, you start to lose, you know, and start to come to your own senses. Um, and there would, you know, at that point there might be nothing to stop him from just, you know, leaving or telling her or whatever, but you know, you turn him into a junkie and then you don't need to tell him to come back here at 10 o'clock every day to make sure he does it. He'll just do it on his own because he needs his fix. And to me, that was just tragic. Uh, and and it, it, you know, it, it plays out a lot more in the next episode, you know, where, you know, Jessica realizes that she's partially responsible for, you know, the fact that his life is such a mess and she chains him to the bathroom. And, you know, just when he has that breakdown, uh, you know, just kind of trying to come off the, you know, the drugs and trying to straighten himself out. And I don't know, just like Eka Darville, I thought just, just totally killed it as Malcolm, especially in these, these two episodes. Um, you know, but just to go from this transformation that we see in the beginning of the episode is just this complete, you know, out of his mind drug addict to by the end of the season where he's, um, you know, a fun, you know, back to his old self or trying to get back to his old self. And, and just to see him, uh, you know, kind of, kind of pull that off, I thought was just really good. It was really like kind of a surprise, um, uh, of the season for me. I mean, you know, I mean, we knew that Kristen Ritter probably, you know, had the chops to be, to be good in this role. We knew obviously David Tennant, you know, is, is a genius. Uh, so to kind of see, you know, Eka Darville kind of take Malcolm and do what he did with him. I thought was, was really, really well done. Yeah. You said it. I mean, I, I don't really have anything else to add. I just completely agree with everything you just said. <laughs> yeah. I think he was, you know, he was someone who was just like, okay, I'll just sort of be a side character. And then, you know, as an actor, I mean, he plays two completely different characters, you know, um, over the course of the season. And I mean, that's, that's some amazing stuff. And, and I mean, the the one thing that I sort of wanted to add was just that, you know, with Kilgrave, he, a few episodes later, he talks about how almost tries to get you to feel sorry for him and saying that imagine, you know, if whatever you said, you never knew if people wanted to do it because they wanted to or because of yes. your powers. And 
but it, with with what he does with with Malcolm, it really shows you how sort of sadistic and fucked up he is because that's going above and beyond just his powers. I mean, he devised a plan to get someone addicted to drugs and ruin their life just so he could get some photos of this person he's obsessed with. You know what I mean? Like right. that that is some some heavy, you know, psychopathic stuff right there. So that just really highlights like how how terrible of a person he is on such a methodical level to just like ruin yeah. lives like left and right with or without his powers. The other cool thing I think they did in this episode as we see her trying to help Malcolm out is they kind of juxtaposed some of that with what her life was like before Kilgrave, you know, where, you know, she kind of had, she went from job to job and, you know, she, you you could tell she was smart back then, you know, when they show her at that, whatever job it was and her boss comes up and she basically finds out he's been embezzling and, you know, just basically says, yeah, just fire me and I'll take six months pay. And then I can just, you know, go drink and hang out and, you know, do whatever. And, you know, that, that she's kind of like this, you know, I don't even know how to explain it. Like she's, she's conniving, but yet, you know, it's just like, I'm going to do just enough to get by, you know, I, that, you know, and, and if I can, if I can squeeze somebody a little bit to get me a little more out of it, then that's what I'll do. Yeah. Um, well, and it shows, you know, I mean, it, it shows even before everything with Kilgrave, like, you know, she was, she had a lot of those same personality traits that we love about about her um just that attitude and that you know doing whatever she wants and and even the investigate you know investigative skills and everything so that was but even yeah but and then the one thing they show too is that she was well we see a lot of that we also see that she was maybe not happy but happier yeah for sure for sure you know she dressed a little better she carried herself better i mean we could tell obviously she had issues with with drinking, but not to the extreme that they are now where, you know, it's just kind of her life's goal to get to the end of the day. So she could just kind of drink herself yeah. uh, to sleep at night. Um, but you know, that scene in the bar where she, you know, kind of challenges that guy that's messing with Trish and, you know, shows him up and then, yeah, you know, great. um, and yeah, just cool. going out, going out with Trish and having fun yeah. and yeah. Yeah. You know, and then we see, you know, at the end, you know, it kind of ties back into Malcolm that, you know, right before Kilgrave came upon her, she was actually helping Malcolm, who was getting mugged, uh, you know, by a bunch of guys. And as he was laying on the ground, that's when Kilgrave comes up and, and kind of whisks her away. So, yeah. I, how did you guys feel about that? Because that might have been my one sort of little nitpick was that it just it just happened to be Malcolm that whole time that was the first person she helped. And then. Was her name? Yeah. I don't know. It felt a little too sort of like on the nose and convenient. Yeah, it felt a little bit coincidental for me, but it didn't bother me too much. No, no, it wasn't a huge thing for me. But and the rest of that scene where you where you see Kilgrave and Jessica meeting for the first time was so good that oh, I almost for sure yeah I almost forgot about Malcolm and I didn't really think it was all that important. Yeah, and I didn't know if they were trying to say that that's why maybe Kilgrave picked him because she obvious, he obviously knew that she had a soft spot for helping people. And maybe if this guy was generally kind of the helpless type that he would be easily manipulated and that she'd be more prone to help him out. Obviously she didn't remember that it was even him that she saved, you know, right. she didn't so really get a good would look at him. Kilgrave remember like 
months and months later. Yeah, that, that's true. what felt a little like way too coincidental. Like the first person she ever helps just happens to be the person that Kilgrave picks all this time later. But and it just felt like a tiny bit distracting from the moment of like them meeting for the first time. And then it's like, oh, he pulls off his you know, his hat and it's him. And it was a little like bum, bum, bum. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, fair I enough. mean, it wasn't a huge thing, but I was just curious what you guys thought about that. <laughs> that was probably like yeah. my only, it's like one of the few nitpicks I even have of the show, which is, it's, you know, saying something about the show. So sure. Yeah. But it's that good that that's all that really bothered me. Yeah. No, that's, I th- yeah, that's fair. I, what did you think of the, the bit with the, I, I like the callback to the comic with her and you know Trish really pushing her to be this superhero and you know makes the costume for her yes. which is her <laughs> and gives her the name you know she's <laughs> Jewel which you know for those of you not familiar with the comic the the whole bit is Jessica Jones before she became a private eye in the comics actually was a superhero um and was you know kind of tied to the Avengers and then she got in with Kilgrave and that's kind of what what kind of messed things up but she wasn't a very good superhero even even back then but her costume was exactly as it yeah, looked identical uh, to that in in the show uh, obviously it's that that thing looked like it wouldn't fit very well but um and and I think her hair was purple I think she had purple hair in the as, as Jewel but anyway I think so yeah, her, yeah. Yeah, her name was Jewel, and and yeah, yeah which is just like couldn't be further away from who yes. who Kristen Ritter is and who Jessica Jones is and all that. So it's, I thought that was a great way of referencing this thing that in in sort of like comic world you can make work where you know decades have passed for some of these characters, so they've gone from yes. a sort of like you know star spangled corny sort of circus character to like this gritty dark character, whereas. I mean, the whole thing with Jessica Jones is that all, you know, apparently happened over those several decades in the comics, even though it was all sort of written, you know, yeah, totally retconned. Yeah, I mean, right. But yeah, they, he, but he, he sort of plays with that idea that like superheroes go through these sort of like stages because she even also sort of has like a dark superhero alter ego, I think called Nitrous. Yeah. At one yeah. point. So, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was, but it's like, how could you possibly do that in the Netflix world and the world of that show? It would just be like, yeah. you could never imagine that. So it was a great little, a great little way to like reference that and poke fun at it. And yeah, and we get, we, we get little bits. I mean, even to the next episode, uh, we get little bits and pieces of kind of what her life was like before we never you know unlike daredevil where we pretty much get it all laid out as to like hey this is what happened uh we never really get like a full picture of exactly what happened to her i mean we kind of piece it together and it's a little um it's it's fairly obvious but i like that it's not just the typical superhero origin i'm gonna handhold you and tell you everything you need to know you really kind of gotta you know pay attention and piece it together that you know she was kind of a bratty teenager and, you know, caused her family to leave late, which ultimately may or may not have put them on the path to get in a car accident, which killed everybody but her, but gave her superpowers. Um, and then she went to go live with Trish and her mother because her mother is this crazy manipulative woman um, and, you know, and, and, you know, needed to kind of boost her image or or whatever. And, and that's how Trish and, and Jessica became friends. But uh but I, I kind of like, like I said, I think it's a little refreshing uh, that, that, again, it's not this hand-holdy, 
uh, origin story that we get. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, also we just saw Daredevil where a kid, you know, quote unquote, gets his superpowers from toxic waste spilling on him. So, yeah, I mean, Jessica Jones's would be like the exact same thing. A car accident, toxic chemical. She's a kid. She gets powers. I mean, so they probably wanted to like avoid being too, you know, obtuse with that right off the yeah. bat because it's like wait is this just how every one of these netflix shows is gonna be <laughs> yeah yeah everybody gets their powers this way yeah uh, so um but but yeah i mean exactly we don't we don't need to to necessarily know all the details for now I'm, you know i'm sure they'll they'll show us eventually but yeah it was uh well, you good enough to be like intrigued they they set it up as a potential mystery for later on with the whole IGH thing. And, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they wanted to save a little story for, you know, future arcs. So Yeah, exactly. And that makes sense. Yeah. Did you, I did not realize it. I, I'm usually pretty up on, you know, researching episodes and looking at IMDb and all that kind of stuff. But did you guys realize that's Rebecca De Mornay that plays Trish Walker's mom? Uh, no, I didn't. No. I, I didn't even recognize her. Like I totally didn't recognize her at all. I was like, wow, it's it. I, I, I just, I didn't even, it doesn't even look like her. Uh, but I guess it's maybe just, I haven't really seen her in anything in a very long time. Uh, but, but yeah, I was just like, wow, that didn't really look like Rebecca De Mornay. I said, you know, maybe because it's been a few years since she was in risky business from, you know, 1983 or, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I just I thought that was I, I think she played it very well. I mean, and I think obviously there's going to be more that's going to get fleshed out. Oh, yeah. You know, with with that whole thing. I mean, we get again, we get little shades of it where, you know, you know, we see her get in the car and she's got, you know, bruises around her neck and around her arm. And, you know, it's it's, you know, when when Jessica decides she's going to commit, you know, confess to a murder she didn't commit, she goes and sees her and you know, threatens her, you know, that if, if, you know, she doesn't stay away from Patsy that, um, or Trish that, uh, you know, she, she doesn't care whether she's in prison or not. She's, she's going to come after her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought, yeah, I, I think, I think like every actor on the show did a phenomenal job. I don't, I don't know if I can think of anybody who like didn't, you know, work for me. The only one, I guess, if I had to criticize a little bit is is Simpson. Yeah, I, yeah. If, if I, I had to pick one, I think that's what everybody thinks. If you, if I had to pick one weak link, one weak actor, one weak story, I mean that that would probably be the first the first one I I'd pick. I don't think he was bad. I just there was something off about that character. You know, and maybe that's the whole point is the guy's a little off, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it just I don't know there was just something about his delivery and his portrayal that that didn't sell me all the time. So um, yeah, I thought, I thought... I, I'm definitely with you, and I and I don't know if it was the acting or the writing, maybe. Um, but yeah, his character never really clicked with me, and I'm hoping if he's if he shows up later, which I'm sure he will, uh, hopefully that'll change. But yeah, I'm, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I know, like my wife was she like hated him she was like that's like the worst sport she was like what does this have to do with anything like why does he keep interfering with everything and i definitely didn't didn't have as big of a problem with it as that i mean i i liked some of the elements i liked that he was sort of a secondary antagonist 
with Kilgrave and, uh, you know, it was clear that they were setting him up to, you know, be more of an active role in season two. And especially once we find out about like the IGH stuff, but, um, yeah, but yeah, I think, I think for me, the bigger problem was the actor and it, and it's like you, you're saying, Russ, there's just something, something sort of off, something a little weird about the way he delivered it. But again, I don't know, maybe he's a genius and just embodied that character perfectly. And we're supposed to kind of like feel creeped out by him. And feel yeah. like something's a little like I mean it did it did feel a little like there's some something like crazy that he's like containing so I don't know I, I feel like maybe he just wasn't as subtle at like hiding that in the early stages like yeah I think my biggest problem with his character is it was so fast like I could have handled yeah. that happening in season two like he just sort of goes from like you know helpful guy to like crazy guy like so fast yeah I think that's a big part of it, it and maybe that's kind of the the drawback of the binge, you know, it's, it's like if, if this yeah, was a, definitely. you know, if this was a 13 or, you know, whatever, 22 episode season and we were watching this week by week, it may not have come across quite as drastic, you know, that may be just kind of, you know, watching 13 episodes in you know, a day and a half or two days or, you know, four days or whatever it is. It just seems like that progression happened so much faster. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's true, but at the same at the same point, like, I feel like they did such a good job balancing all the other, you know, binge related story developments, you know, like I, I definitely yeah. didn't feel like anything yeah. else was rushed. So for me, it was just, um, I mean, to be honest, it reminded me a lot of, it was one of the same problems I had with, like the only problem I had with Ant-Man was I felt like they rushed the villainy of the villain, Darren Cross. Yeah. It was sort of the same yeah. thing. I just felt like that could have been like a multi- they, they could have fleshed that out over like multiple movies instead of just from the get go. He just, I mean, same with um, Simpson. I just felt like even when he was supposed to be a good guy, I was like, wait, does nobody realize this guy's crazy? Cause he acts yeah. like he's crazy. Even when he was being nice, like yeah. it just seemed like there were constantly red flags. And so again, that was like, is that the writing or is that the actor like not being able to sort of like delineate between the two versions of his character or did the writers just, or director or whoever just be like, all right, and, you know, act like you're kind of crazy right now, but you're not, you know, totally crazy. yet. <laughs> he always seemed like he was like one step away from just like bursting out into tears. Like, I don't, <laughs> maybe that's what did it for. Like, I just kept looking at his eyes and I'm like, this dude's about ready to just start crying his eyes out. Like, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, see, I thought he was like weird. chewing on his tongue the whole time and he was about to like throttle somebody. That, that, that was what I, it just, it, either way, it seemed like he was about to just lose it on some level just constantly. And I, I don't know either. That's, I, I think it would have been great acting if it was dialed back a little more, but to me yeah. it was so over the top. That it was like, why does anybody want to be around this guy? Cause he seems like he's going to lose it any second now. Yeah. And I, you know, maybe in retrospect, they're trying to say, well, that, you know, it's still fallout from the last time he was in the program. I, sure. I definitely, it wouldn't have bothered me as much if, if they would have only, if, if that would have been kind of the status quo for him after he took the, the pills, because right, then I would have been right. like, Okay, yeah, he's he's obviously you know messed himself up, um, but I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to see you know maybe with season two as he gets more comfortable in that role, maybe they kind of tweak it a little bit and kind of sure. you know look at the criticism. Maybe maybe we won't be you know kind of yeah. having this discussion in in season two. So, um, w- one of the other bait and switches I I thought they did with this that was kind of cool and I wasn't expecting was hope in when in the prison when. 
she asks Jessica for the money and you think it's to pay protection. And then it turns oh, yeah. out that, you know, the, the, the fellow inmate beat the hell out of her. And then you find out it was because she paid her to do it. And then you find out the reason she, I first, I thought, well, maybe she paid him to do it because she feels guilty for killing her parents, but no, it turns out that, <laughs> right. Well, that that's may, what I thought too. Like that, that may have been something. some of it. it. It was because she was pregnant. Um, Jeez, that's that's some brutal storytelling yeah, right was there. Harsh, <laughs> yeah. From a character was so harsh. standpoint, like, oh my god. Yeah, it's like this, this character hasn't been through enough, and then she has that. Which, again, a pretty big departure from the comics. And they even make mention of this, you know, c- coming up in a couple episodes when Jessica agrees to go with Kilgrave. He, he actually rapes these women. Um, yeah, and in the comics. They make a point of while he he did have um, relationships with with other women, he never had any physical relationship with Jessica. Right, and they yeah. make a really big point in the comic of saying that that you know he pretty much you know that's where he stopped short, um, which was kind of you know again weird in and of itself. But in, in the TV show, they just go full out and you know nope, that's just part of his mo and and. Yeah, I think again, it's to kind of accentuate the fact that he just doesn't know any different. Like it's just, you know, part of who he is. I mean, one of the things they make a point of in the show is you were saying earlier, Matthew, where he says, you know, you know, Jessica kind of yells at him for making people do stuff, and he's like, "Look, how do I know where the line is between what people want to do and what I tell them to do?" Right. Um, But and I think you know, again, to sort of highlight, you know, it's just sort of this. I mean, it's not really victim blaming, but it's him like making excuses. But, you know, you could you could make the argument that the way he would know whether someone wanted to have sex with him is in a normal sort of like situation. You don't say, hey, have sex with me. And the person says yes or no. And that's just based on their own desires. I mean, you normally don't command people to to do that. You know, the way he would know if it was natural is if he just acted, you know, like a normal person. And that just progressed, you know, of a, you know mutual consenting thing so it's like him making excuses but it's like well the way you could avoid that is by not commanding people to do things yeah <laughs> and then they would say that them. the first rule of being a superhero don't be a prick yeah <laughs> that's you know it's just like uh when she's you she sits them down but it, it, you know it, it, that's what it was interesting too about the show is with Kilgrave, they kind of started you down the path of maybe feeling sorry for him. Like mm-hmm. when he says the whole, I don't know whether I'm telling people to do stuff or they really want to do it. And then it's like, Oh, here, watch this video of what my parents did to me as a child. And sure, you know, I had yeah. this horrible upbringing and it was this, that, and the other. And you start to feel like, okay, well maybe, you know, it's kind of like the whole nature versus nurture thing, right? You know, this, this, this kid just had a really bad upbringing and, you know, it's just it's kind of forced him to to act this way and to just be a complete, you know, a sociopath. And and then towards the end of, you know, we'll, we'll get to it in the when we talk about the, the third act. But I think in the third act, they turn it back around and say, nope, he's just crazy and it has nothing to do with his parents. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that that was uh, another big departure from the comics. Um, the Purple Man does not get his powers as a child in the comics. Right. Um, and you know, he's, he's already a criminal when he gets his powers, not only an adult, but you know, he, he already has started making bad choices. Um, and so to change that and give him his powers as an innocent child, um, 
I think it really fundamentally changes the character and really does make you question whether he knows right from wrong. Right. Yeah, I mean, it makes it a much more morally ambiguous... I mean, him as a character and the show. And, I, you know, I think it was good that they gave him layers, but also good that they didn't lean too hard on the feel sorry for him because... Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of terrible things happened, but he also did a lot of terrible things. And, you know, he has to at some point you have to draw that line and he has to take responsibility, you know. And oh, yeah, definitely. It's not just him like robbing some stores or something and being like, I didn't know any better. You know, it's like, I mean, he's he's kidnapping, you know, I mean, he's essentially kidnapping and raping women, you know, left and right, ruining people's lives, getting them addicted to drugs telling people to kill themselves. I mean, you know, this is at some point you have to be like, okay, you've got to know that this wasn't just cause you had some bad parents. Like, like clearly you are, you know, destroying people and ruining them. And, and so I'm, I'm glad that the show eventually pulls back and it's like, no peace. I mean, yeah, some bad stuff happened. And, but chances are he probably would have turned out this way regardless. He just wouldn't have had powers and maybe wouldn't have been as extreme, but I don't know. I think it's safe to say that like, that's probably the person you would have turned out to be anyway. Yeah. I think, um, with Kilgrave, they did kind of a, a lesser version of what they did with Fisk and daredevil, where they showed you what made him that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah. and it almost made you sympathize for the character. Not quite, but almost. Yeah. Cause you're still like, okay, I get it. I get that some of those impulses would come and that you learn some of those things from your parents. But at the same time, like, you push those to the extremes, you know? I mean, you you didn't just yell at your father. You didn't just, like, push him. You know, you beat him to death with a hammer. <laughs> like, yeah. you, th- there was, you had, you clearly had those tendencies inside you and you just used those, things that happened to you as sort of an excuse to let them out. You know, maybe they taught you that you don't have to control your inhibitions as much, but you already had some pretty messed up, uh, you know, things that you wanted to do in the first place. You just never learned how to like not do them. So maybe he would have been a more controlled psychopath, you know, if he hadn't have, um, you know, had all those experiences happen to him. But um, yeah, I think, you know, there's clearly he's, He's clearly not a good person to me. And uh, the fact that he has these powers just makes it that much worse. Yeah. Episode six is kind of, we kind of get back to almost like we did in episode four where it's, we kind of, we sort of kind of get a detour from the main story, uh, you know, where Luke comes back, who he's been kind of MIA for a couple episodes since him and Jessica kind of had their, uh, you know, their, their run in, you know, they're kind of bad parting of the ways with the whole, uh, you know, woman he was seeing and, you know, she kind of threw him under the bus on that and, you know, kind of made a mess of things. Um, but he comes back to hire her to help find somebody named Antoine. Uh, and at first we don't really know what's going on. Like he's real vague. Luke is real vague about who the woman is that's looking for the kid that, you know, is kind of all connected to, to this. And, um, you know, again, I thought it was a really good example of her being a good private eye. You know, she's trying to, you know, when she shows up the next day, she's trying to, you know, she even tries to give Luke a couple pointers. It's like, you know, look, nope, pretty much all my job is, is looking through trash and trying to find connections. And, you know, while he's 
he's looking at stuff in obvious places. She's, you know, in the bathroom opening the medicine cabinet. She's dumping the trash. You know, she's, you know, able to kind of put two and two together where, uh, you know, Luke, Luke doesn't have that. And that bit where she calls on the phone saying oh she's God. with the prize company, that so was just, good. that was so good. It was priceless. Yeah. Her, her fake phone voice, her a pretty hilarious uh, bit that she does a couple times over the course of the show. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, I, just again, showing like her range, adding some levity and, uh, you know, letting her be a PI. I mean, I, I think those are all great elements, especially, you know, all these heavy, heavy story elements we're talking about. It's, you know, it, it's nice to have like moments where things are a little bit lighter. And, and I think generally the interactions between her and Luke are like that until, you know, till we get a bit later and they, yeah. they, uh, they turn pretty dark as well. Yeah. Cause it turns out that the reason he's helping, I, I, I guess the reason he's helping the woman is she has some information that he would need because she, she was looking into some stuff and it turns out that what she found was the guy that was the, the driving the bus was was an alcoholic and he was drunk the he was drunk the day he was driving the bus that hit his wife um and so she he he feels like you know that that you know that kind of gets to the bottom of it and so he luke decides to go after the bus driver and and kill him because he killed his wife because he was he was driving drunk um and then the bus company you know basically tried to you know cover it up yeah and he's still like working yeah he's still working and so, you know, he confronts him and then Jessica realizes what's happening. She runs after him. And then it's the big, it's the big, you know, kind of, we've been kind of waiting for this all along. Like this whole episode or towards the end of the episode, once Jessica realized that that's what that information was, she was like freaking out because she thought it was going to have something in there about, you know, the fact that she was involved or she was there or there was footage or, you know, she didn't know what it was. And, uh, you know, when she realizes that, no, this, this guy, well, maybe not innocent, but at least in this, in this respect, it wasn't his fault that, um, you know, that, that, uh, that his wife was killed. It, you know, it, it was, it, well, Kilgrave ultimately, but Jessica as well. Um, you know, she confronts him and then she confesses that, you know, she was the one that hit her and, you know, put her in front of the bus and that it wasn't, it wasn't because of him and, and, you know, it really throws their relationship for quite the loop and you know, just kind of brings up all this craziness, how, you know, she was involved with him in a relationship and yet she's, she's the one that basically killed his wife. I mean, it's just like, it just, it, it's like another one of those, man, this is, this is a messed up situation right here. I mean, this is about as screwed up as, as, as things can get. And then, you know, at the same time, Luke has got to be torn because at the same time, you know, he's kind of told her already like, hey, you know, Kilgrave, if somebody made you do it, you know, you're not, you know, really responsible for, you know, for what's going on. But yet at the same time, you know, how do you get past that? You know, knowing that that's the face of the person that, you know, killed your wife, whether she was in control or not. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and his his confrontation of her at the end, um, was I think one of Mike Coulter's best scenes in in the whole season. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm I'm glad that it was it wasn't that he just like found something and like rooted it out. It was that you know she had to, you know she had to say it, you yeah. know she had to confess and and yeah, I mean it's something that obviously we get a 
he gets a bit more under well i guess it's vague whether he truly gets understanding or not towards the end um i guess we won't go into that necessarily but it's one of those things where like you were saying he says oh i totally get it it wasn't your fault you know he he controls people but then when it actually comes down to like something personal and something real then all of a sudden it's like he's not singing that same tune and and i mean it's the whole thing is sort of brilliant because again like you were saying how in the comics jessica isn't actually raped by Kilgrave, so the fact that you know melissa rosenberg took this whole sort of like arc and season and sort of made it be about you know rape and how you know everybody's like says they understand but they don't like totally believe it you know yeah. And it's like everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Kilgrave, you got these powers. Sure, it wasn't your fault. But when it comes down to it, they're like, well, wait a minute. Like, you did, you know, like, you really weren't in control. And, you know, so it starts becoming this questioning thing where nobody, like, totally believes you. They just sort of say they are supportive and believe you. But, and then when it actually happens to them, that's when they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I was wrong. This was terrible. I had no control. This person is a monster, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, yeah, it was, it's, it's definitely sort of like a heartbreaking thing to, to see that happen, especially after them working so well together. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, one of the other key points is Luke even asked her point blank, you know, if, if I didn't find all this out, would you have told me? And she pretty much, she doesn't answer, but pretty much that says, no, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to tell you. Yeah. I think it's kind of clear that she wasn't, wasn't ever going to. Which is yeah. It, I'm it surprised kind of it, it came it. out as soon as it did. I I, I kind of yeah. thought they were going to stretch it out for the whole season, and I, I'm glad they didn't. But I mean, episode six, you know, I mean that's I guess halfway through. Yeah, it's a that's that's a pretty big bomb to drop. The the big thing, well, two big things happen in episode seven. One is that Kilgrave shows up at Alias Investigations and kills Ruben, and you know, kind of specifically does it because I think he gets the hint that he likes Jessica and almost sees him as competition, even though he's not really competition, um, but has him kill himself. And, you know, this, this kind of starts this whole plot with Jessica where she's like, okay, I know how I have to stop him. I have to put myself away. If I put myself out of the equation, then he can't harm anybody and he can't threaten anybody or threaten to harm anybody if I'm not around and then I'll figure something out once I'm, you know, how, how to do Yeah. That. Well, and I, I think also maybe she'll be so deeply guarded that if he wants to come after yes. her, it's going to leave a hell of a trail. Right. Like exposing him. Yeah. Yeah. He breaks into prison. There's cameras, there's people, there's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And he, you know, she, she also feels like, okay, there's no way he can resist it. Like at some point, the madness is going to get him and he's going to have to try and get inside to her. Like, right. You know, that, that, you know, but in the meantime, she'll be safe and he can't punish somebody else because she's in prison because yeah. Yeah. You know, she could threaten and do whatever she wants, but she can't get out of prison. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, the way she lives her life, um, and with her powers, it probably wouldn't be that bad for her in prison. Like she can take care of herself and it's not like she does a whole lot anyway. And I mean, the only, thing is she wouldn't she'd lose all her alcohol but you know there's ways to get around that in prison so sure. <laughs> and she'd make a lot of good connections she could use when she got out 
For, given uh, that Orange is the new black crossover, they've been. Uh, oh yeah, exactly. It's all the same universe, <laughs> the Netflix, the Netflix expanded universe. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be great. I just, I hope you know, twenty thirty years from now, we get to the point where just all media is just one one linked universe. <laughs> one universe. That's it's just all the last thing that they have left to like excite people. It's just all right. Well, everything's just the same thing. Yeah. But then it gets crazy too because like Pat's you know Trish and and uh, and Malcolm took care of the body and she actually goes and dives back into the water and pulls the body out and then she cuts the head off and it's, Jesus yeah it, it's just like this insanity <laughs> and and you know she just shows up at the police station um, but the, the the scene where Kilgrave shows up at the police station after she goes in there and and confesses and is talking to uh, to Clemens is probably my favorite scene in the whole in in the whole um in the whole season. It's just, you know, where she thinks she's got the upper hand and she's got it and he comes in and all the cops basically point guns at themselves and he it's kind of this whole standoff thing and you know uh, Clemens kind of sees it firsthand like I think after this Clemens is like, "Okay, I get it now." Like this you know, he, he kind of has that moment um but then of course he goes through and you know, deletes all the security footage and then tells everybody to forget it. And yeah, you know, just which, which like that. Sorry. No, no, that, that, that whole scene. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it's sort of like a, a microcosm of her supermax plan and proving that, well, maybe it wouldn't have been that effective because he waltzes in a police station, turns all the cops, you know, can control all of them at once, erases the security footage, makes them all forget it. I mean, so it almost makes you think uh, maybe that supermax plan wouldn't be that effective. <laughs> maybe he'd still be able to manage, you know, to get in and out without anybody noticing. Yeah, um, they in I think the second trailer for Jessica Jones, uh, they had uh, just a shot from that scene in the police station with everybody, yeah. with all the cops pointing guns at each other or themselves. And uh, as soon as I saw that shot, I realized this show's going to be really good and really dark. And yeah. I, I feel like that that scene is kind of, if you had to show somebody one scene to show them what the show was, you'd show them that scene. Yep. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I'd say the only, I, I mean, for me, the one that, in the trailer scene that, that made me realize like, oh, damn, this show is going to be something is that uh, one from a few more episodes where, Everybody swings off the bar um, oh, against yeah. their will. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, yeah. News yeah. when I, I mean, there was a quick shot of that, and I think maybe the second trailer, and I was just like, oh my god, what, what is the context for that happening? Because that seems terrible. <laughs> so I was just like, wow, this show is is going to be something. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I just thought again, tension because you're like, is he gonna? try and prove a point and somebody's going to shoot themselves like is yeah. you know what what you know how is this going to you know going to end up and 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 it ended in the best way possible with all of yeah. them laughing yes. oh my god yeah so creepy. morbid so yeah. creepy it yeah it reminded me of uh, of the joker yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. absolutely right like he had just laughing gassed all of them exactly especially him yeah. walking around in that purple suit all of the time <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, David Tennant would make a great Joker. Oh yeah, that yeah. that would be that would be amazing. Maybe, but it's at the end him. of this ep- episode that 
she decides, okay, finally, the, the only way to deal with him is to just stay with him. Like I can't, I, I can't, I, I got to try and beat him from the inside is I, I, you know, what I'm thinking that she's thinking. So, you know, he buys her childhood house and sets up shop and, you know, and takes her in there in the next episode, which is, you know, utterly crazy where she decides, okay, I'm going to, and you know, there's some angle she's playing. You're not sure what it is or what's going on. Um, but she, she somewhat plays nice with him and, you know, um, decides to live there and he creepily recreates the entire house, looked at pictures and like re recreated her bedroom from when she was like a teenager. I mean, it was just like all this craziness and has, you know, the security detail and, and these two chefs that he tortures these poor, Jesus, this, yeah. these, these poor people that basically if she screws up, they, you know, they get punished for it. And yeah, when um, he doesn't let them blink. Oh my God. Yeah. She's like gone. I was just like, yeah. God, this guy is just, he just finds new ways to, t again, it's like he clearly relishes this sort of like torturing power he has over yeah. people, you know, cause he's so like creative with it. He's yeah. not just like leave me alone, or, or I, you know, he's just like he really like gets methodical about it, <laughs> about his like little punishments and rules and stuff. Yeah, which is just and it, yeah. And of course, Simpson shows up and tries to blow up the house and get her out. Yeah, and, you know, and which you know, he she... he's just not a cop anymore, right? No, like he doesn't go into work ever. Like he's right. just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like the show kind of forgot that he was supposed to be a cop at one point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah. he's a beat cop at one point, and then he's just constantly hanging out with them and hatching plans and hanging out with like paramilitary groups, and it's like what, what? <laughs> yeah, but you know, we meet the next door neighbor and she's like the typical nosy next door neighbor. And, you know, she gets, yeah, that was a pretty this. satisfying scene. Like, despite the fact that she's sort of like, you know, basically kidnapped at that point, like that yeah. was a nice little way. It's like, how can you alleviate the tension of that moment? And, and they found a nice little way to like provide like a little bit of levity in the middle of this, like yeah. terribly, like depressingly messed up situation. Yeah. And, and I thought it was kind of interesting that they decided to take the track of maybe this guy can be a hero. Yeah, I didn't see that coming ever. You know, you know where she takes him out and, you know, def defuses that hostage situation. And, you know, and then she even goes back to Trish and is like, hey, what if what if basically I just become his, you know, slave, for lack of a better term. But because of this sacrifice I'm going to make he could actually use his power to help people or, you yeah, know, she's like a parole or, officer or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I can, I can change, you know, it's the typical, it, you know, it's almost like a, a person that exhibits bad behavior or is abusive or whatever. And somebody thinks they can change them. And it's, and, you know, and Trish basically kind of wakes her up and says, look, you can't change this guy. He's a psychopath and he's crazy. And, you know, you're, you're playing with fire and it, you're just, you, you know, this is stupid. And I think that kind of gives Jessica this, you know, the, the sanity check to say, Oh, okay. That, you know, uh, he, he's gotta, he's gotta go like somehow, you know, I've gotta, I've gotta make this happen that, you know, that there's no way to make it work for him. You know, that, that I can't turn him into a hero because he, he just isn't a hero. Um, that's not in his DNA. Uh, and, and it was a pretty cool plan that she hatched. 
at the end there because I didn't know what was going on. I, I thought it was kind of on the up and up even, you know, when she sits down and has dinner and then, you know, she's even eats his food because she thinks, you know, he, he's thinking, oh, well, you know, what if she's poisoned it? So she eats his food, she drinks his beer, you know, everything's fine. And then the the cook and his wife, you know, boom, they, they fall out. And then before he has an opportunity to figure out what's going on, she hits him with the um, with the sedative and he's out. Um, yeah, that so was I, that was such a great like misdirect. Yeah. Um, and and such like, again, just showing like how clever and smart she is too. just like, you know, that was a pretty well crafted plan. And she used his sort of blind spot for her to. You know, she gave him a little bit of what he wanted, but she also wasn't like completely. She was still acting like herself, you know, right? Um, still just sort of being petulant, and so it was, you know, it was the right. It was just the right amount of like giving him what he wanted, but also like not seeming like she was up to something. Yeah, and again, the whole thing with the phone too, right? She takes Simpson's phone and she uses that to kind of record these semi confessions out of him and and emails them to to Hogarth so that, you know, she's, she's got some record of it again. That was cool because he took her phone, mm-hmm. um, you know, so all this, all these little things were, were kind of really well done. But again, you know, just, you know, the fact that she ate his food and proved that it wasn't, you know, she wasn't poisoning him or trying to knock him out. I thought was, you know, was really cool. And then when she flips it on him, it, it, it worked. And then the whole bit at the end where we don't actually see her fly, but we, you know, it's implied that she, yeah. And sort of, of she does. Calls it guided falling. So I'm, I'm assuming that uh, wherever she landed probably wasn't uh, wasn't smooth. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, and the other bit where the nosy neighbor uh, gets <laughs> exploded. Yeah, she blows. Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. As soon as she showed up, I was like, "Oh man, this is not going to end well." And yeah. Simpson looks in the bag and then tries to run away, and you know, oh, God, bits everywhere. I was like, "Wow." Yeah. And then, um, well, and then I guess that sort of sets him up for Simpson up for, you know, what's going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is where we, you know, this is fully where we're going to get nuke. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're familiar with the comics, there's, there's a character called nuke. I don't yeah. Know I, that. I thought they were going to, again, like I was pretty surprised. I mean, I guess I'm jumping ahead a teensy bit, but yeah, just surprised they went in that much with him and yeah, know, did the pills and, and everything. And basically it was like, you know, it, it was the same thing I felt with Trish and how much they showed. You know, I thought we would just be introduced to her as I, I just didn't think we'd see her like learning how to fight and, and you know, having this desire to like yes. want to fight crime and all that. So it's like there's sort of mini origins for, you know, it's like Jessica's kind of already established. Kilgrave's established. So we sort of get these mini origins for, uh, you know, Hellcat and Nuke as like other, you know, good guys and bad guys who we'll see. You know, obviously, season two, season three, I'm sure we'll see more of that, which is really cool. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And I guess we'll get, I think they pretty much confirm that um, Carrie Ann Moss's Jaron Hogarth is going to be in Iron Fist. I think that's, that's like something they've said is... I feel like I've, yeah, I was, it seemed like there was something the other day that I was reading that where it was like kind of unclear, but I thought that sort of was announced like a few weeks or months back. But, um, yeah, I mean, I swear I read something about the option. Yeah. Or, or maybe was she'd be in Luke Cage or I'm not sure, but 
I find it hard to believe that they wouldn't, you know, just like Rosario Dawson, that, you know, it seems like Marvel's all about not just, you know, letting these people exist in their own franchises, but if you have like a really good actor, like, you know, give them a role in one of the other shows, you know, at least for an episode. Yeah. And it, you know, it helps, you know, I think with each one of these shows, they're kind of doing everything they can to like, let people know about them. Um, Cause you know, most people are, you know, some people are familiar with Daredevil, but much lesser familiar with, you know, Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Jessica Jones. So the more sort of like names and established characters and actors and stuff that they can sort of like put in them, you know, lets the average person know like, okay, this is the same world and this is reason to watch and things like that. And so, now, I mean, you know, with Mike Coulter, obviously that was like a huge example of that. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. Well, I think that kind of takes us as far as I, th- I think I, I wanted to go. And given the yeah. the time the time we're at, I think it's a, it's probably a good break point. Uh, yeah, it's definitely sort of the end of an of an act. Like there's there's sort of a definitive like end point and beginning of a a final set of story starting in yeah. episode nine. Indeed. So, like I said, we'll be back uh, at some point, either before or after or during uh, the next week to to kind of cap this off. But uh, any any final thoughts? Any any closing words you guys have? No. <laughs> go, go see Star Wars if you haven't yet. Yeah. No. Yeah. Go go watch Jessica Jones if you haven't yet. Which would be yeah. weird if you listen to this whole thing. Yeah. If you listen to this it, episode and haven't sure. watched Jessica Jones, uh, sorry. Yeah. Go rewatch Daredevil in anticipation for season two. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's that's also a good thing. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, definitely check out mcuexchange.com uh, where you can find this great podcast as well as uh, the works of Matthew and Doug uh, on the site. Uh, there's always lots of cool stuff over at mcuexchange.com. Uh, lots of news and uh, and other uh, pieces over there. Uh, those guys are always working to, to get new content up, so definitely check that out. Um, as well as check out our sister site, uh, hhwlod.com, where you can uh, find a bunch of cool podcasts. Uh, Speaking of The Force Awakens, uh, I was on a show that uh, we've been doing a series of Star Wars-related shows, and so we finally did our wrap-up of The Force Awakens, so you can check that out over there. Um, As well as if you're you're DC-inclined, there's a DC TV show over there, as well as The Walking Dead, so uh, all kinds of cool stuff over there. Um, so until next time, where, like I said, we'll either be wrapping up Jessica Jones or gearing up with season two of Agent Carter. Thanks for listening.